0: Good morning. Uh, Good to see you all. Uh, Ben, welcome to the second week in our new home here at the Warsaw Performing Arts Center. I haven't determined in my mind how many weeks. I'll count the weeks since we moved in and celebrate the Lord's work in leading us here. But it's so good to be together. If you're a guest with us again, a special welcome to you. So glad that you came to spend some of your morning here with us. My name is Kondo. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here at... Um, mission point. And um, as we were starting this new season and entering this new phase of our journey as a church, we thought, you know, what better... Time uh, than this new start than to go back to the foundations of what made mission point, mission point in the first place. Lest we become a church that steps into this new season and this new beautiful place and forgets what God called us to and to be about in the beginning, And so we took last week and we want to take this week as well to just get back to the foundations of what God has called us to be about. And so if you're here with us last week, uh, we spent some time looking at uh, uh, in a critical chapter of Scripture that shaped the very DNA of who we are as a church. We looked at Isaiah 58. A reminder of the heartbeat of God and the heartbeat of this church. That God from the beginning has called us to be a movement of people who leave the building to love the broken in the world beyond these walls. Because if we show up to church on Sunday and we worship and we sing of how great our God is, but that worship doesn't turn into mission on Monday, then we miss the very heartbeat of God. From the beginning, this church has been called to be a church that fights against injustice. A church that feeds the hungry. A church that frees the oppressed. A church that's all about fending for the homeless. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in real tangible ways in the world beyond these walls. More than just a place to attend. But that these services ought to launch us into mission. Hence the name, Mission Point. And um, so we spent some time talking about... That last week. And uh, this week, we want to spend some time being reminded of what we were reminded of last week. Because listen, if if you're anything like my kids, um, hopefully in very limited ways, but if you're anything like my kids, and it takes at least two times explaining or talking about something for it to take and translate into possible. Um, Action, But we do, we just want to to revisit some of the things we talked about last week and to really emphasize the centrality and significance of the mission and the fact that that indeed is the point. So listen, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to meet me in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, We're going to spend some time in Joshua chapter 1. In fact, we're going to spend some time really zoning in on the first two verses And even a little bit less than that as you see here um, in a little bit. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, by the way, as you turn there, um, it it really parachutes us and drops us into the aftermath of the death of Moses. The great leader of the people of Israel. He's gone. And man, the stillness. Of grief is still hovering over the nations as millions of people mourn the loss of this great man. Shaken is a nation, but particularly shaken by the loss of Moses is this guy we're going to meet named Joshua. He's experiencing the loss with a little bit more intensity than everybody else is and for good reasons. Because as we learn a little bit about Joshua, um, we're going to see that he had a different kind of relationship to this man named Moses. So look at verse 1. It drops us into the heart of The grief of a nation. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Um, Moses was a a mentor to Joshua. Um, Moses was like a second father to Joshua in many ways. Wherever Moses went... Joshua went along with him. Practically speaking, on top of that, Moses was kind of Joshua's ticket to the promised land because he was that great determined leader who always seemed to know where to go next. And now he is gone. Moses was the way that God not only spoke to the nation of Israel, but he spoke to Joshua. When Joshua wanted to know what God had to say, he would ask Moses because Moses was the person God seemed to communicate to and through the most. And now he's gone. Joshua is experiencing the loss of his friend and father figure. But Joshua isn't just experiencing this this pain of losing his friend. He's carrying the pressure of leadership that now rests squarely on him. He's experiencing this a little bit differently because the entire nation of Israel knew this to be true. Joshua was the heir apparent. Joshua was Moses' apprentice. He was the protege. He was next in the leadership line behind Moses. The whole nation knew this. And now four million eyeballs are locked in on Joshua to see what this guy is going to do next. Um, Can you say pressure? On top of the pain he's already experiencing. And the Bible, by the way, doesn't help this poor guy out very much. I don't know if you saw this in verse 1. Look again at what it says. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. I don't know if you caught that. But after the death of Moses the Great... Servant of God. The Lord spoke to mm, Joshua, the other guy. Bellhop to Moses, the servant of God. Bag boy to Moses, the servant of God. Water boy to Moses, the servant of God. Even the language in this distinguishes between Moses the great and Joshua, his aid. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 3 says this, Jesus, this is so interesting, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Here's my point. If God would take the time to write in his holy book... To convince people that Jesus is greater than Moses. That's all you need to know about how highly held and venerated Moses is in the mind of the Jewish person. Moses was the guy who was responsible for the emancipation of millions and millions of people. Moses was the one who had the afterglow because God allowed him to see the back end of his presence. Moses was the one who somehow called bread to come out of the skies. The great Moses, greatest leader the nation had ever known. He was the guy. Now he's gone, and it's on Joshua. So I'm sorry, Joshy Pippin. Moses Jordan has retired now. It's on you. No pressure. Don't mess up the whole nation of God and the promised land situation. Have fun there, good buddy. So when the book opens, Joshua is sitting under the dual weights of the pain of loss, piggybacked by the pressure of leadership. How's he even supposed to deal with that? So imagine how thankful this guy had to have been by what this verse says. Look at verse 1 again. After the death of Moses, the great servant of God and whatnot, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. This is huge. The Lord spoke to Joshua. This, as far as we can tell, is the first time God directly addresses Joshua. And could not have come at a better, more opportune time than right here while he's dealing with a crushing weight of loss. And the pressure of leadership. So through terror and through his tears, God speaks to him. Pressure, pain, and God shows up and speaks to him. So you can imagine Joshua is leaning in with every fiber of his being to hear and not miss a single word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I wonder what he's going to say. Um, As a college student, uh, I went to a Christian college because I'm a good good Christian guy, but um, as a college student, I calculated that I attended about 300 chapel services over the course of my um, college career. Um, That is a lot of speakers, and that A lot of words. Now, again, confession is good for the soul, so I thought I'd confess to you guys, I don't remember the vast majority of those chapel services. I don't remember the vast majority of the speakers in those services. I definitely don't remember the vast majority of the words that were spoken in those 300-plus chapel services. But there was one speaker who came and spoke. And I will never forget... Something he said. In fact, when he spoke, he kept repeating five words over and over and over and over again. Those five words have lodged themselves in my mind. I have never forgotten the words he spoke over a decade and a half. Ago. I can't remember for the life of me what the point of the message was. I can't remember much of what else he said, but I can remember the five words he kept repeating over and over again. As we we're preparing to make the move into this facility and to the start of this new chapter of life, those five words kept coming back into my mind over and over again. I tried to shake them, but nothing doing over and over again. And it haunted me, um, these words. So I suspected that maybe it was because the Lord wanted me not to be haunted alone, but to share those words with you so you can be haunted by them as well. Misery really loves company. You're welcome. And um, interestingly enough, those words show up in this passage. Interestingly enough, now again, let me be honest with you, because I wish I could say that these are really deeply inspiring words, like words that you're going to want to calligraphize and frame and put in your house, but they're kind of gloomy and dark, that's the truth, which is additional incentive to share them so we can all be in this thing together. Together, but, but these five words happen to be the first five words God speaks to Joshua, the first sentence God speaks to Joshua. Again, remember, he's in the middle of pain and he's in the middle of pressure and God speaks to him and look at what he says. Verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. And then God goes on. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Moses, my servant, is dead. Tell me you're not inspired right now to do great things. I mean, tell me you can't just imagine right now that, that, that Joshua's life has taken a one 80 and he's ready to move on with life. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Um, I definitely don't want to, you know, woo lightning down on my afro hairs. But can I just say, it's very clear to me that God has never taken counseling 101. Because you know, this is not what you say to somebody in the middle of their grief. Moses, it would appear in my sovereign opinion, is deceased. He's dead. These are the words God chooses to enter into this moment with Joshua of all the things God could have said first. Moses, my servant, is dead. I just lost this father figure. I just lost my friend and my mentor. And now there are eyeballs looking through tears at my tent waiting to see what I'm going to do next. And Moses, my servant, is Dead. Those are the words God chooses to speak to Joshua. And those words have haunted me over and over again. Um, Dave Engbrecht is um, a name some of you might know. He's a pastor of a missionary church in Napanee. And um, he's also pretty much responsible for taking uh, Gabe and Libby Reed from us. So, man, think of him however you you want to when you you pray. Uh, When Dave Engbrecht, this veteran leader, heard that we were starting uh, this church, he said, I had to come down and spend some time with you guys, which he did on a couple of occasions and cannot... Begin to express how much we appreciated that. While uh, this man poured into us. He emphasized two things more than he emphasized anything else. The first thing he emphasized was be faithful. The second thing he emphasized to us. Was this. Don't let anything hijack the mission. Don't let anything hijack the mission. It is clear that God has called you to reach the 50,000 unchurched in your county and invite them to life in Christ. Don't let Anything hijack the mission. It is clear that God has called you to leave the walls and to love the broken. Don't let anything hijack the mission. It is clear he's called you to fight against injustice, to free the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to fend for the homeless. Do not let anything hijack the mission. You are going to be tempted to feel discouraged, to be dissuaded, but don't let anything hijack the mission. Condor, you are going to have moments where you're tempted to dilute the mission when you realize people aren't showing up anymore because they don't want to get their hands messy as we enter into the brokenness of the world around us, but don't let anything hijack the mission. I've never forgotten those words either, and they've carried us through some difficult times. They've carried us through some pretty difficult decisions. Don't let anything hijack the mission. All right, where were we? That's right. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's just God's way of telling Joshua don't let anything hijack the mission. Don't let anything hijack or minimize. The mission. I have called my people to go to the promised land for my name's sake. Don't let anything hijack the mission. I've called my people to be a beacon of hope in the darkness. I have called my people to get to Canaan so they can be a blessing to the broken and to the hurting and to the poor and to the widow and to the orphan and to the unloved and to the alien and to the homeless. Don't let anything hijack my mission. And just in case anyone's not yet clear on the point of this, God is saying to to Joshua, Moses is dead, but my mission is not. Moses is gone. But my mission moves forward. Don't let anything hijack the mission. Not even this great servant of God, Moses. There is something more important than him. And it is the mission of being a beacon of light, taking hope to the nations and making much of my name in the earth. Don't let anything hijack the mission such a powerful moment for Joshua and such a powerful reminder for us and by the way what sounds like insensitivity on the part of God is simply his intensity it's simply him accenting the priority of his mission not even Moses as great as he is should ever slow down the mission of making me. No. By the way, God is not saying to, to Joshua, hey, get over it, buddy. He's saying to Joshua, it's time to get up. He's not telling him, well, just move past it. But he's telling him, it is time to move forward. It is time to move forward. He's not minimizing Moses. God is maximizing His mission. I know you loved him. I know he was great. I know your heart hurts. But none of those realities take priority over the mission of reaching the earth, being a beacon of light, helping the hurting and the broken in the world around you. Moses, my servant, is dead. It's time for you. To move on to the mission of making my name great. This is just God telling Joshua what I believe he wants to tell us, remind us over and over again. Mission point, the point is the mission. Nothing takes higher priority over your calling to get dirty as you enter into the messy places to love people and invite them to life in Christ. That is the priority. That must be maximized over anything and everything else. The mission is the priority. Moses, my servant, is dead. Don't let anything... Hijack the mission. So I can't help but wonder if the reason the Lord wouldn't let me shake these words was because He wanted to maximize the mission in our hearts, in our minds. I wonder if He doesn't want to, like in Joshua's case, call us away from mission minimizers, from mission hijackers, so that we will, with greater determination, Go into the darkest places to be a beacon of hope, to reach and hurt and and love the hurting and the broken. Please don't hurt anybody. Um, I wonder if the Lord isn't wanting to re-invite us to his priority, to lift us out of whatever things might be keeping us in our tents stuck and stagnant and losing sight. Of what matters the most. And so God comes to Joshua to tell him a number of things. Don't let anything hijack the mission. And I wonder if we can't relate to some of the things I believe God is calling Joshua out of. And, and there are a number of them. J- Joshua, don't let anything hijack the mission. Not even your pain. Not even your pain. Uh, Joshua has lost someone he loved, and this has him sitting stuck in his grief when God shows up to tell him, don't let your grief keep you from my mission. Don't let your grief keep you from reaching the grieving in the world around you. Don't let your heartache keep you from ministering to the heartbroken around you. It's time to move forward. Now, I've got to tell you this, because it doesn't show up plainly in this passage, but in that Old Testament culture, it's really, really interesting. Um, when uh, someone would die, when you would lose a loved one, God would carve out seven days exclusively devoted to mourning and remembering and celebrating the life of that person. He would give you time to just sit in the place of grieving that loss. When Moses died. God carved out 30 days, an entire month, for the entire nation of Israel to do nothing but just share memories and laugh and weep and cry. And remember this great man, this great leader, this father figure, this friend, this mentor for 30 days. That is so good to know because it means God will never minimize your pain. He will enter into it. He will sit with you there. He will carve out space for you to grieve and weep and mourn. But what he will not do is allow our pain to become the thing that prevents us from moving forward into the mission to which he has called us. And I wonder if for some of us, that's, that's not the minimizer God wants to uh, address. Doesn't ever want to minimize our pain. But he does want to maximize, even over our pain, the mission of his gospel. And for some of us, the marriage is over and it has broken our hearts. We've tried everything. And now it has a sitting in this place of dismay and rightly so and God will enter in and sit with us but for many of us it has paralyzed us from moving forward into his mission into his gospel work and I wonder if he isn't saying listen it's time for you to go and actually play a part in helping the hurting marriages around you. Yeah, maybe the boyfriend ghosted you and no explanation, broke your heart. God will enter in and sit there, but he will not allow us to stay there. Because there's something greater, even than our pain that he calls us to. And that is to take his hope to those who are living in the pain that that sin brings to their world. The loved one left too soon and in no words could possibly console. But God promises that his comforting presence is going to be with us. But don't sit still. Maybe the church burned you. And God would enter in and say, yeah, but, but don't let that be the reason why you don't reach out to the unchurched. I mean, be mad at the church, sure. Whatever. But would you still join me in my quest to reach the unchurched? For some of us, pain and loss has hijacked God's mission for too long. And it's time to move forward as a way of acknowledging that his mission takes priority even over that. Now, please let me stop and say this. Some of us are in the fresh places of recent loss and pain. Take your proverbial 30 days, whatever that looks like, to grieve and mourn and celebrate. God makes room for that. But I'm speaking to some of us who've sat in this place and have not moved forward because of it. And I wonder if the Lord doesn't want to unhinge us and reinvite us. To actually be vessels in reaching the hurting and the broken around us. It is sad how often our hurt keeps us from the hurting. And God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's time to move forward. God tells Joshua, don't let anything hijack my mission. Not even the pressure. Not even this pressure. Um... Great Moses, he knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. He was such, such a great leader. Now here's Joshua with no clue, just the heavy expectation of carrying on the mission. And that has him, the pressure has him in a tent just kind of hiding out. And I think about us uh, sometimes, um, and how often that's our story. It's like the Great Commission. Reach the world for Jesus, the great invitation to to reach 50,000 people in our county. The great gospel reach the lost. And we use all of these really big phrases. And at the end of the day, it just puts pressure on us. And it intimidates us because I can't live up to all of that. How are we supposed to reach all of these people? And somehow they know that we're the people who go to church. And and we're the people who believe in Jesus. And they're looking at us, eyeballs on us. Are we going to say something that magically makes people turn to Christ? And I don't know what to say. It is amazing how often I have not shared the gospel because of the pressure. I don't know what to say. And I'm scared. I'm going to mess it up and on top of that I'm a professional I'm a pastor I'm supposed to know this stuff I'm supposed to have it down and yet I don't want to enter into messy situations because I don't know what to say I don't know what to do and so I'm going to just sit in my tent and wait it out I'm going to wait for low hanging fruit I'm going to wait for something that is so obvious and handed to me with low risk because I don't want to mess it up the pressure to produce ends up keeping me stagnant. Joshua, I'm sure, was terrified of not being able to live up to this expectation of the mission Moses had been carrying out. And so how beautiful the words, Moses, my servant, is dead. I love that. Joshua, it was never about Moses, it was always about me, meaning the same spirit that was with Moses is now with you. The same God who made Moses great is now with you. The same spirit that filled Billy Graham or whoever else, I, I tend to think, well, I'm not them. I don't have the gift like they have the gift to evangelize. Well, the same spirit that was in them is now in you. I love what he says in verse 5. Look at it up on the screens. God says, no one will be able to stand against you. Not the gates of hell, no weapon formed against you all the days of your life. And he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Moses is dead, but I am with you. Let my presence lift the pressure. It's never been about your ability to, to perfectly communicate something. It's always been about my spirit. It's always been about my gospel. Share, even clumsily. All I know is Jesus is going to forgive your sins if you ask him to. That's all I know. Well, can you answer? No, I can't answer too many questions. That's all I know. And for some of us, I wonder if the pressure of having to produce and to perform at a certain level or knowing everything to do when we see someone in need, I've heard somebody's being abused. But the reason I haven't said anything is I don't know who to to talk to or what to do or what to say. And that's been the reason, the pressure to produce has kept us from entering in. And God says, as he says to Joshua, I am with you. And let that be cause enough to stumble in and to to make mistakes and trust that I will be with you. For some of us, I wonder if God doesn't want us to defy the hijacker of pressure, the pressure to know what to say or what to do. May we never be the church that says, well, I didn't share the gospel. Or to say, I didn't enter into that painful situation because I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't know what to do. And I'm telling you that if we pause for a moment and survey this room, those of you who claim to be believers and say, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Have you shared the gospel in this last month? I'm sure many of us will say the reason I haven't isn't because I didn't run into people who don't know Christ. It's because I wasn't sure that I would say it right or I didn't want to mess up the the relationship or I didn't want to, to say it wrong and then give them the wrong impression and the pressure has kept. Kept us in our tents and God is calling us out. Defy the pressure in my presence and share. Enter into the mess. Don't let anything hijack the mission. Not even this arbitrary sense of pressure you often live under. And I I, I think God is saying to Joshua as well, don't let anything hijack the mission. Not even your past. Um, and particularly the, the glorious days of the past. Hey, remember, remember when Moses' face used to glow? That was awesome. Those were the days. Hey, remember, remember um, when Moses would call bread down from heaven? That was so cool. Remember his epic speeches? He was so articulate in his big, you know, staff that he carried around. Remember how he would split water and stuff like that? That was really, 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 really cool. What God does when it comes to Joshua is calls him to move forward, knowing how prone we are to get stuck in the past. Yeah, that was awesome, but Moses is dead now. Don't let that keep you. Don't let the past, as beautiful and glorious as it is, keep you from the mission. That city you used to live in and love, it's gone now. Uh, some of you can be I mean to be honest, I mean, you can be so annoying because every time we talk to you all you talk about is man we used to live in the most awesome place with cool and hip people who knew how to dress and I'm um, like yeah no offense taken and then we moved here because we had to and this place is terrible you know but back then in the city where we got uprooted because of work and for some of us, the city you used to live in and love is gone. And what God would say, is, stop letting the past of what used to be keep you from the fact that he's probably moved you. In fact, he's moved you here so that this can be the city where you reach the lost and the broken. He has you here for a reason. And the reason is greater than you reliving the past with the rest of us telling us how uncool it is to live here. You are now part of his posse to reach the 50,000 in this county. The dream job is over. You loved that work, I know. And God would say, get up and go nuts doing my work. Telling people Jesus freely forgives. Your 20s are over. Get over it. You'll never be able to do a backflip or the splits ever again. You can't play pickup basketball. That's done. Whatever. But don't let that keep you in this whining place versus realizing, oh, I wonder if maybe God wants me to pour into some of those passions I used to love and maybe coach a team or maybe meet with somebody in their 20s to help them through their current crisis. I wonder if for many of us, we're just still living in the past. And if we talk to you, that's what you talk about. You can't go send us without talking about what was. And somebody needs to tell you, hey, Moses, my servant is dead. Let's move forward. And of course, there's room and space to celebrate what was good, but not if it hijacks and keeps us from looking at where we are now and realizing God is calling us to his mission here and now And, um, you know, we, we don't have this in, in the notes, but I think it's also so significant that, that God tells Joshua, don't let personality hijack the mission. I love that. Moses, my servant, is dead. I know everyone thought Moses was great, and he was. But my mission does not depend or revolve around this person or any person. And as a church, we want to lean into that so significantly. We never want this to be a place that, oh, you know, the mission revolves around one elder, or it revolves around this pastor, or it revolves around that teacher, or it revolves around this volunteer, or it revolves around that small group leader. We want to be the kind of church that if any one of us is removed from the equation, the mission moves forward because it was never built around the personality. It was built around the person of Jesus Christ. And can we just talk about this place as awesome as it is? We never want the movement to be built around a place. So that we're always able to say the place is gone, but the mission moves forward. That person is gone, the mission moves forward. The past is over, but the mission moves forward in the gospel. I don't know who or what your Moses is. It may not be any of these things here, but the point is, whatever is keeping you from actively engaging the hurt and the lost, whether it's family and busyness or guilt from things you've done, God would say the same thing. Moses, my servant, is dead. My mission is a priority. Whatever is keeping you from that, get up, leave it behind, and move Forward. And I do, I really think what God wants His church to know, why these words have been haunting, is that it is our time now. It's our turn now. And we've got to get to work. There are 50,000 people staring at our tent, waiting for us to share hope with. Them. Nothing should hijack that. The pressure is off. God himself is with us. The pain is real, but he is our comfort. He wants us to move towards loving the hurting. The past is gone, and I can't tell you how significant this has been for me um, as 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 an individual, as a leader in, in the church... Because this place has such rich heritage spiritually, and, and yet I know the Lord wants to continue to remind us whoever advanced the gospel in this county in decades past, thank you to them, but see ya, it's our time now. Whatever Billy Sunday did a decade or two decades, not decades now, but a generation ago, oh my goodness, we stand on the shoulders of those great men. But it's our turn now. Whatever ministry of Billy Graham launched in Westminster Hotel on the campus of Grace College is so beautiful and so awesome. But that would do nothing to reach the 50,000 people in our county today. It's our turn now. And the same spirit, the same gospel, the same God who is with them is with us and is inviting us to unshackle ourselves from the lesser things and move forward because it's our time now. History is looking at us. We can't keep talking about the the great days that went by or the great revivals that are happening in other places. This is our time. This is our county. This is our space. Moses, my sermon is dead. It's on you now. My spirit is with you. My gospel is with you. I am with you. The question is, will we get to work? Because here's what I've learned um, about the church. One of the great enemies of moving forward in the gospel is our amen. It's amazing. We will so quickly say amen to the gospel. People need to hear the gospel. Amen. And we need to reach the hurting and the broken. Amen to that. But listen, if amen doesn't become a movement, it's useless. And so I wonder if the Lord isn't calling some of us to ask the question, what are we going to actually do? And are we willing to actually get up and speak words to those who don't know Jesus? Are we willing to actually enter in and get messy helping those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are oppressed, those who are alone? Moses, my servant, is dead, what Ever may be keeping us from getting up and moving forward. God wants us to minimize so we can maximize his mission. And my confidence is that as many of us move from just saying, sure, that sounds good, to actually entering in. We will start to see an awakening, a revival. And God has promised that as the harvest that's ripe is reached by those he raises up and sends out. And So Lord, I, I beg you to unshackle us from whatever it is that's keeping us from talking to the neighbor or talking to a family member, what's keeping us from entering into an abusive situation that we're aware of or a hunger as we've seen it. Lord, we beg you, please help us To prioritize your mission. Even over our own pain. Even over our own concerns. Our self-preservation. And the pressure we feel. May we be willing to believe. That you are with us. Your gospel is in our hands. And it's our time. You're calling us. To make a difference in our county. So Lord we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus great name. Amen.